Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Local beekeepers celebrated World Honey Bee Day this past weekend. It's a time to celebrate all the work that pollinators do for us every single day. But here in Oregon, there's actually a lot more than just honeybees buzzing around. In fact, we have over 600 species of local bees all doing their thing, pollinating plants, and a lot of them don't look or act how you might expect. Today on CityCast Portland, we're listening back to a conversation with Rich Hatfield, a senior conservation biologist with the Xerxes Society who studied native bees for 25 years. He's here to tell us why they're so important, how to protect them, and how to observe them out in the wild, hopefully without getting stung. It's Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Rich, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I think a lot of us think about the springtime as a time when we see these bees out there pollinating, doing their thing. But there are threats to local bee populations, right? Like what's going on with the health of the bee communities here in Oregon? Yeah, there certainly are. Um, I mean, the biggest threat probably here in in Portland, in the Portland area and in Oregon it is... Um, pesticide use. Mm. And and when most people think about pesticides, they sort of think of it as a farm problem. Um, and that's true. There are some threats there in, in agriculture, but but farmers in that industry in general, they have an economic incentive to use those products really wisely. A homeowner can go to a lot of different stores in the Portland area and get the same exact active ingredient products off the shelf and use it in their backyard with zero training whatsoever and zero knowledge about the potential negative impacts that it could have. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of chemicals on the market right now that are that are sort of broad spectrum and systemic. And by broad spectrum, it means that it, it's not targeted towards any sort of insect, it'll kill anything. And by systemic, it, it means that it's actually absorbed by the tissues of the plant and then expressed in the plant which means that every time a bee eats or drinks you know, from that plant, they're actually getting a, a micro dose of an insecticide. And um, you know, there are potential lethal threats there where it could kill the bee immediately, but, but there's also what we call sublethal threats, where over a long period of time, you get you know, changes in behavior and changes in ability to navigate and reduced you know, yeah. number of offspring. And all of those things just have a slow drip, you know, long-term population level threat or, or effect on, on bee populations. Mm-hmm. So if people want to protect local bees, I'm guessing the first step is just to not use these types of chemicals in your garden, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we 100% feel that these chemicals have no place in an ornamental landscape. 
we sort of like to to tell people that are interested in how to manage their gardens without pesticides. A lot of people are like, how am I going to do this? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the the key is like, just have fun with it, right? Our gardens are kind of ecosystems, right? And we should be trying to create an ecosystem there. And, And if you have a pest problem in your ecosystem, it means that some component of your ecosystem is missing. Like you might be missing yeah. a plant that might attract a predator that would help you take care of that problem. And I think if we can sort of change what a beautiful garden looks like and start thinking about it more of like a functional landscape rather than yeah. this kind of sterile garden that I think some of us think about or that we see in magazines, you know. So like what are some of the plants? Like what do you recommend? What are some things that you can bring into your garden to help manage uh, these situations naturally instead of using pesticides? The best thing to do is just diversity of all sorts. So diversity of sizes, diversity of shapes, diversity of colors. Um, But most importantly, really, is just incorporate some native plants into your landscape. Um, Mm -hmm. So especially like our native butterflies and moths um, and some wasps to a certain degree have like a relationship with a native plant where they lay their eggs on that plant and their larvae actually have to eat that species of plant. So without those plants in your garden, you're not going to get some of these beneficial insects, you know, and and nature works just fine without chemical inputs. So the most the most sterile, uh, clean, well-maintained, perfectly groomed garden, you're saying, isn't actually the healthiest uh, natural environment? No, it's not. And um, I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't have a functional ecosystem that doesn't look beautiful, right? You can, Mm -hmm. um, but we have to change a little bit and and take some of those blemishes on our plants and be proud of those and think, oh, there's a beneficial insect benefiting from my my plants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is the threat to our ecosystem if we don't take care of our friends, the bees? Like what what could happen if, you know, these types of... uh, guidelines aren't followed by people and the bee population starts to go down. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about food security. And <laughs> I mean, that seems like a, a extreme thing to say, but it's true, right? Like if we don't yeah. have bees pollinating plants, then that could sort of throw the entire system of growing food out of whack, right? Yeah. And food for us and also food for other wildlife that eats plants. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's a it could have huge cascading effects without question. The term out there is one out of three bites of food that you eat comes from a plant that was pollinated by a bee. So they're they're contributing to our, our wild native ecosystem and then also to our agro ecosystem um, and agro economy, frankly, you know, in, in the terms of billions of dollars annually. And it, it should be, you know, taken as seriously as I think people do. I mean, I think people really care about this issue and want to do the right thing. I just think there's a lot of different messages out there about the best, most effective ways to help. Well, I've got a lot more B questions, but first let's take a quick break. Here's a question that I'm sure some people are asking. Should people be scared of bees? No. Definitely not. Because <laughs> I think that there's a lot of people yeah. that are very afraid of like a bee sting. Like what what do you, would you say to reassure people that when you see a bee, you don't need to freak out? Well, I mean, the first thing is, is our native bees, for the most part, most of them don't have a stinger that's even strong enough to pierce your skin, right? So these, there you go. Our yeah. native bees are tiny. A lot of them are like ant sized or a little bit bigger and like 
in fact, there's a there's a school here in in Portland. It's Sabin Elementary School. It's in southeast Portland. They found a whole sort of colony of ground nesting bees uh, on their school years ago, and they were worried about it, and they were going to spray them and kill them. And thankfully, a Xerces employee lived across the street and helped the school mm. to recognize that these were actually ground nesting bees that were completely harmless. They now have. Um, engaged the the early childhood students in actually counting the population every year, and they have nicknamed the bees tickle bees because they come out of the <laughs> ground and like they literally crawl on their arms and like they're able to hold them in their hands. And now that's the that's the the mascot of the school. They're the Saban tickle bees. You know, they, oh my gosh, that's some branding for yeah. you. When you think of like the the Hornets and like professional yeah. sports teams, where they have their big stinger out, yeah. it's like nah, they're just they're just tickle bees. We're the tickle bees, these cute little tickle bees. Yeah, um, and you know, like most most bee, even bumblebees, which are native and can sting. Um, you know, like when they're out on flowers, like. They they just want to do their work like they they don't care about you at all. If you try to mm-hmm. you know grab them or bat them or you know step on their their home, yeah, they're gonna get upset. But like you would get upset if some giant person come to step on step on your house as as well, right? And so yeah, I, I th- they're just being defensive as much as they can. But but watching these animals on flowers is is a pretty beautiful experience if you can just sort of you know, get a lawn chair and a cold beverage and sit in your garden and watch them forage around your yard. It's it's a pretty neat thing. You've got a you've got a backyard safari back there just waiting for you. It just you, it needs your attention to actually pay attention to it. Yeah. How, how would you recommend if somebody wanted to get into the habit of watching bees? Uh, how would they go about it here in Portland? It truly is like everybody's got one in their backyard. I, sure. I, I would guess that, <laughs> I mean, not that everybody has a backyard and I'm certainly aware, aware of that, that some people live in, you know, high story apartment buildings and, and don't have property. But but even if you put a pot of flowers on a three third story, you know, porch, the chances that bees are going to find it are pretty good. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, you could do something as simple as just setting up a lawn chair in, in whatever space that you have access to and, you know, just watching flowers. And most people, I would guess, within an hour would see at least 10 different species of bees. And then if you were, you know, if you wanted to go get even more interested, you know, mm-hmm. go for a hike into one of Metro's or, or Portland Park's natural areas. Um, you know, there's there's ones in every quadrant of the city that have, you know, wild sort of prairie type habitats or or flowering shrubs and trees. And just go walk around and, and look look at them. There's There's... There's more wild, you will see more wildlife in the form of wild bees in our native parks than you will, you know, birds and mammals, because <laughs> they can hear you coming and they yeah. hide from you, whereas <laughs> the bees actually don't care. They're just, they're just trying to do their work. So if, so if you're trying to find different species of bees and you're, you're out, like, how can you tell the different species apart? A lot of them are kind of easy to tell apart. You'll see some that are bright green, mm-hmm. um, others uh, will be bright red. There, there's some parasitic bees that are bright red. Um, wait, 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 wait. What, 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 tell me more about these red parasitic bees. <laughs> I feel like you just scared me again. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> They're not parasitic on you. They're okay, actually okay. parasitic on, on each other. So there's 20,000 species of bees worldwide. And with that many different oh species, gosh. you just get a bunch of diversity of lifestyles. And so, you know, some bees work hard, they go out and they collect their own pollen and nectar and they build their nests and they dig their nests and they lay their eggs and they they do all that. 
And then you got these other bees that you could sort of think about as lazy or you could think about as crafty that are like, eh, I'm not going to go collect my own pollen. I'm going to take advantage of that bee that's collecting all the pollen. And I'm going to, once she's gone, I'm going to crawl into her nest and I'm going to lay my eggs in her nest. And then she's going to raise yeah. my offspring. And those are the parasitic bees. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're sort of, they're taking advantage of the hard work of other bees to raise their own young instead of doing it themselves. That is so rude. I know. So <laughs> yeah, it is rude. Uh, but it's also, it's also, you can sort of think about it almost like a, a predator prey relationship mm -hmm. where they're actually strengthening ultimately the genetic stock and, and, and helping bees to choose better places to build nests where they can't be found by parasitic bees and things like that. So it's, it's real interesting. It's not a tickle bee though. <laughs> not a dog tickle bee. <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, Rich, thank you so much. Uh, hope we're inspiring some people to get outside and check out what's going on outside their back door. Me too. It's been a pleasure and thanks for having me. Well, that's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend about it. Leave us a rating or a review. We'd really appreciate it. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.